Welcome to the fourth episode of the Mobile South Africa Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Harmstone, and joining me as always is the Canadian who Davey regularly presents with D, Logan Saunders. I had a very similar note in my notes. I'm like, hmm, I wonder if this reference is going to get past Michael or not. It was manna from heaven when I started watching the Ostrich Maze Challenge and Davey started handing out D. And the worst part is they said the D. Like, did they really have to throw in the in front of there? And then Eileen said it too. She's like, you've got the D. You've got the, we, or we've got the D. We've got the D. Everybody gets the D when Davey is around. That's <laughs> why there's so much money in the pot. He's just so generous with his D. What can we say? <laughs> and it gives me great pleasure to say that after seven years of this podcast, we can finally discuss probably the most infamous episode of Belgian Mole. And I will say... I didn't love the challenge as much as I did the first time. I think it is one of the rare challenges that doesn't improve on a rewatch. However, the Ostrich Maze challenge is still a bloody good challenge, and this is still a bloody good episode. I think just teams being chased by ostriches to horror music makes up for it. It is honestly one of the funniest things they've ever done on a mole season. And the fact that the only person who benefits from this challenge is Hans. <laughs> That's like the perfect capper. When you you know a challenge has gone wrong, if after everything is said and done, it's like, oh, you know, who who got who's the one person that got the golden egg? Like we got zero zero euros for the pot, but you know, who who's got the advantage for tomorrow? Hans? Fucking Hans. He gets another advantage? <laughs> Him? <laughs> that guy? So previously, the remaining eight candidates spend their last few days in Cape Town and split up, with Marsena and Annalise taking a well-earned rest while the other six reach for the skies. However, all was not what it seemed, and Marsena and Annalise had one hell of a time trying to guide the rest through the infamous drunk museum heist. At the execution, someone saved themselves by fooling the group, leading to Marsena's departure in their place. And Jill starts the episode by talking to the final seven around the golf bunker, and asking them individually if they are the mole. None of them obviously say yes. And when he gets to Robin, he really rolls his R's, and he says, in that case, that means nobody's the mole, and in our opinion, he's two years too early with that twist. And they all wake up on day eight, and Gilles says that Marsena's departure hurts even more because someone now has a clear advantage over the rest of the group. Not strictly true, that. It's a, it is a clear advantage. It's just an advantage that's not utilised to its full potential. Yeah, if you think what we said last week about Bertrand really being the butt monkey of the season and them really digging the knife in this is where it continues because they do not stop this episode just constantly stabbing him in the back with the edit it's brill one person has an unbelievable advantage that they would be a complete dumbass and a horrible player if they were to go home this episode and the other six are absolutely screwed and of course, because this season is glorious, it ends up being Bertrand who has the advantage. And if you've seen this episode, you know he doesn't use it. It's... I know we're jumping ahead, but the fact is just like... Alright, let's do the execution. Let's get let's get the obvious out of the way. Let's put Bertrand's name. You know, because I know for sure he's going to make it through. Oh, he doesn't. They just absolutely shank him and it's brilliant. I think he probably started as a gimme too when he's like, oh, no one, no one's name. If you, This is too early in the game for the first name to be typed in to go home. Yeah, go ahead, type it in first. Nothing. <laughs> I, I have a bigger advantage over, oh, shit. 
So officially to the contestants at least, who got the red screen is still a mystery. Robin says he's convinced that it's Aline, Hans asks if it was Davy, and Davy says that in three months Hans will be saying Davy never lies. Of course, ironically, they are listening to Justin Bieber's Sorry on the radio at the time. Because yes, I did spend a good minute trying to work out what the song was on the radio, and it turns out that it was a very muffled version of Sorry by Justin Bieber. I, I heard it right away. I picked up like, that's Sorry by Bieber. Yeah, it kind of dates the episode having that song in there. Not as much as something in episode 5 does, but we'll get there next week. So they are driving the garden route, as we did, towards George. And Jill meets them there and says that they're going to camp somewhere gorgeous about 30 kilometres away, and they've got to bike there, which of course is Logan's worst nightmare. Along the way they will find three mini-challenges, each with a choice of either money for the pots or comfort for the evening. Each challenge will be worth a value of either 1,000, 1,500 or 2,000 euros for a total of 4,500 euros. However, one person must be carrying the Lantern Rouge, traditionally the marker by which a rider will be forced to leave a bike race if they are passed. If someone bikes behind the Lantern, they'll lose 500 euros from the pots, regardless of whether the team earn money for this challenge or not. To earn the money, the average speed of the Lantern must be at least 10 kilometers an hour, and it can never stop moving, or the challenge will end. Yeah, just let the... let's just let the Lantern go by me. I don't want to slow you guys down. And just to add to the difficulty, they are on mountain bikes, which isn't terrible necessarily for the terrain that they're on, because there are a lot of hills, but to make it even harder, they are all wearing trainers, which makes them less efficient. And Davy, of course, as a bike mechanic, takes off and leaves the group behind, and Robin says that he thinks they'll earn nothing and end up sleeping on the ground for the evening. Such an optimistic guy. I know, for all the talk for the past few weeks of me going... I remember Robin being a bit of a sourpuss, but he's not that bad. This challenge, he was a bit of a sourpuss. He's like, oh man, we're never gonna, we're never gonna figure this out. We're never gonna get that boat across the pond in time. You know, Hans isn't gonna bike fast enough. We may as well just slit our own throats and go back to Belgium. Yeah, I think the problem is that only one person is on the right lines on who the mole is at the moment. So everyone else's guesses are a little bit up in the air. Especially Sam, because Sam's really light, so it doesn't take much for him to be up in the air. That is true. He's like a human balloon. So pretty quickly, Eline and Annalise are in danger, and Annalise gets caught after three and a half kilometres. Bertrand says that they rushed into the challenge and didn't think of a strategy about the mini-challenges, and Eline is overtaken after nine kilometres. And then Davy arrives at the first mini-challenge, which is chopping a pile of logs. If they chop them all, they can earn either a thousand euros for the pots or another tent. Davy chooses a thousand euros and has never chopped logs before, which is quite obvious. He's not a log chopper. You'd think as a carpenter you'd chop some logs. You'd think he gets it pre-chopped because surely he just sees it when it's ready for him to do his bit. This is the first time he gets to learn how it's made. This is how you get wood, Davy. I mean, I know it's probably a little bit patronising for me to just boil Davy's job down as being a carpenter to being handling wood, but from the stories you've told me, that is basically what it is. Yeah, he just he he really learns how to get wood uh, after this episode. So Bertrand arrives second and tries to teach Davy how to cut logs, but of course, it being Bertrand, he gets the axe stuck in the log. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> If only he had special glasses to see where you exactly chop the wood. <laughs> I am well aware that half of this episode is entirely Bertrand's own doing, but they didn't need to bury him in the edit this much. They could have got away without showing him getting the axe stuck in the log. Not showing the axe getting stuck in the wood. <laughs> this is how you do it, boys. 
but still they want to just dig the knife in a little bit more and keep teasing him. Or the axe in a little bit more. <laughs> I know we talk a lot on this podcast, especially the Belgian Mall ones recently, about who the main character of each episode is. And I would definitely argue that this episode and the last episode are kind of a two-parter of the fall and even greater fall of Bertrand. But to have a fall and a greater fall means he was up high somewhere in the season. I think he just stays down and everyone else just moves on. Yeah, I don't think they've ever told a story like this where they just constantly shit on one person for basically two episodes. Because even someone like Ruth last season, she never got a pair of episodes where they just kind of shit on her. She only got the second episode, really, where it was a bit unfortunate where you're going, oh, I feel quite bad for her. Or maybe even someone like Ron in Georgia, where he was never the butt of the joke. He was kind of teased, but he was never the butt of the joke because of the unfortunate situation. This is entirely Bertrand's doing. Yeah, I mean, the the, the axe getting stuck in the wood is just the first bit of it, and... I mean, of course, after the execution, they show multiple contestants saying, oh, uh, Bertrand was really intelligent in this group because they have no idea about the glasses thing yet. So they're like, man, he's the smartest guy we know. That's a big loss for us. I don't know what we're going to do without him. And of course, as we well know, there is a rule in place that they can't talk once they've got a red screen. So he couldn't exactly turn around and go, oh, by the way, I saved myself last week. Does he want to? I think if I was in his situation, I'd probably want to tell them after I got executed, purely because it reduces the intrigue for everyone else, at least. Yeah, but you kind of want to toy with the people who stay behind. It's like, well, if I can't win, then whoever's still left, I want them to really work for that victory. It depends how spiteful you are, I suppose. You know what Bertrand needs to do with those glasses, though? I mean, they're still good use for them. Like, if he was playing The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time... He could play that treasure chest game right from the very beginning and collect all those rupees, and I'm sure he can trade in the rupees for a prize equivalent to uh, whatever the winner of this season gets with in terms of euros. Yeah, essentially the editors spent last episode and this episode just mocking Bertrand. Now it's our turn. Exactly. To quote one of our podcast icons, they're laughing at him, and it's rude. <laughs> A good Margie Amazing Race reference. And Hans is only one kilometre away from them, and the lantern cannot stop, otherwise the challenge ends. And they decide to send Davy on, even though he's their strongest cyclist, and leave Robin and Bertrand to chop wood. And Sam passes them, and Hans is only 500 metres behind, and they complete the challenge, and of course, Bertrand celebrates, rather than getting on the fucking bike. (laughs) Victory lap! Oh shit, now we're behind Hans. And Davy arrives at the second mini-challenge. All he has to do is use his bike chain and attach it to another chain to turn a gear to grab a key to a box, and he can choose either 1,500 euros or mats and chairs for the evening. And Sam reaches him not long after and looks like he's struggling. It's funny, like, Davy's supposed to be this handyman, but he really struggles with chopping wood, and he really struggles with getting the chain back onto the bike after he gets the key. Yeah, it's really interesting because you know as well as I do that Davy is big into his cycling. And I'm not sure whether it's as a consequence of this season, or whether he was big into his cycling before, but I think out of all the people in this cast, he's biggest into his cycling, so you would have thought he would have been able to put a chain back on a bike. Maybe the pressure of the challenge? Yeah, I think it was the time pressure more than anything, and the fact that if Hans passed Davy, they would have been absolutely screwed because Davy was their strongest cyclist. 
maybe the fear of Robin yelling at him was was on his mind. I think everyone's just terrified of the prospects of Robin shouting at them generally. You don't want to disappoint Robin. No. So they tell Hans to slow down as his average speed is above 12 kilometers an hour at that point, and Bertrand and Robin cycle onto the final mini-challenge. Sam and Davy grab the key, but Hans is very close behind them. They take the money, and Davy still has to put his chain back on. Hans ends up walking up the hill. They have to tell him to slow down even more than that. And in a moment of pure physical comedy, Davy takes Sam's bike, which he describes as a child's bike, and leaves Sam to put his much larger bike back together. In other words, he's like, he just... Sam becomes the sacrificial lamb, or the sacrificial Sam. Exactly. And then he gets overtaken, and they lose another 500 euros, and he says that he does not trust a single person who is ahead of him. And then Bertrand and Robin arrive at the final mini-challenge. All they have to do to earn either 2,000 euros or food and drink for the evening is row to a raft in the middle of a pond. And they get a boat, but it is full of holes. Who did that? That is a useless boat if it's full of holes. Who would do something that irresponsible? That is an utterly impossible mini-challenge, for no other reason than the only thing they're allowed to plug the holes with is sticks. Robin denies that boats ever sink anyway, so you already have someone who doesn't know what he's talking about. And, to top it all off, because they're wearing cycling gear, if they get their cycling shorts wet, they are going to be in a world of pain. Because at best they're going to be uncomfortable, and at worst, they're going to chafe. They are going to leave South Africa with nappy rash if that boat sinks. Hashtag nappy rash. Yeah, it's a deeply unpleasant experience to be wet through when you're wearing cycling gear. Trust me. Translation for the Canadian and American listeners, nappy means diaper. I don't think everyone knows that slang. (laughs) Watch the episode of Survivor Exile Island with Shane Powers and Nurse Suri. And that's exactly what Michael's talking about. Yeah, and given that this was about 10 kilometers away from the end, that would not have been a pleasant experience for them if anyone had sunk in a boat, if they were just constantly chafing. And it's probably not going to be... It it was already dark, which means they're in for a cold night, especially having to camp outside a tent. Yeah, it would have been essentially the most unpleasant experience possible for them, and I'm including being around Bertrand all day. I've just essentially decided I'm going to go in on Bertrand today. Well, this is the last opportunity to really get in on him. Oh no, it isn't. We've got four more episodes after this, Logan. No new content to use to go after Bertrand. You really think after we went in on Mark for eight entire episodes last season that I'm not going to keep doing Bertrand jokes? Because, spoilers, I'm going to keep doing Bertrand jokes. (laughs) So, understandably, they all decide to skip that challenge and go straight to the finish line... And Davy, Bertrand, Robin and Hans all reach the finish line in time, earning them a thousand euros for the pots. It's good that they didn't, I mean, it was, the boat challenge was set up by production as a trap. They knew, realistically, you can't do it. No, it was 100% a trap challenge, and good on them for realising it was a trap challenge and getting the hell out of there on time. Although it was amusing to see them fight over whether or not this was a trap challenge. <laughs> look at how many boats this, look how many holes this boat has. <laughs> How are we supposed to get it all the way out there, back here, and to the finish line before Hans shows up? See, I think they were a little bit short-sighted to make Hans the Lantern Rouge, because they could swap who had the Lantern Rouge at any point. They had to keep moving. That's the tough part. Yeah, but moving can just include walking. What I would have done is I'd have said to the group beforehand, 
who is the slowest here, you have the Lantern Rouge first, and then as you get tired, we swap you out with the next slowest, and then the next slowest, and then the next slowest. And as long as the person at the back ends up being someone like Davy, who's a confident cyclist, they will win, and more people will stay in and they'll lose less money as a result of that. They didn't play this very strategically, and they were very lucky to make money here. Yes, that's that's a good point. And they could have probably saved, and they could have probably saved one more person from being passed during the challenge. Yeah, if they'd thought about it a bit more cleverly, they could have easily earned a lot more money in this challenge just purely from people not getting eliminated. However, that is essentially a running joke of this entire season: is if they'd have thought about it, maybe they could have earned a bit more money. Yeah, I think that's a quote you can apply to three quarters of the episodes of them all. Yeah, especially episode five, because I watched it last night, and there's a few interesting decisions in that episode, shall we say. Are there, are any of those decisions shocking? Uh, yes, there are some shocking <laughs> decisions, and there is also the infamous paintball challenge. Give me the one where Han stays in one spot for ten hours. <laughs> Oh, fucking Hans. So they wake up on day nine in Hartenboss and enjoy the facilities. Davy goes out on the lake, and Sam nearly falls off a rope bridge. He's so light. It's like a feather on a, on a rope swing. And Jill leaves him an envelope at breakfast. In today's challenge, someone will find a golden egg and get a personal challenge tomorrow. If Sam swung hard enough on that rope swing, he could have landed in Lesotho. I do love how throughout the entire season, Sam's defining character trait is, isn't he so light? He's basically just an overgrown child. Age, age is just a number for Sam, but his weight is an even smaller number. Yeah. So in the second challenge, Jill is looking for two people who want to play Scrabble with him. Because he's lonely. Yeah, he's just so lonely. <laughs> he just wants a friend. <laughs> and they choose Robin and Annalise, and he says that they will only earn money today if Robin and Annalise beat him at Scrabble. The rest of them will provide the letters which are hidden all around the largest hedge maze in the Southern Hemisphere. And I cannot believe I'm finally getting to say this phrase on an actual recap. I I love it when you travel around to areas in the Southern Hemisphere, because like, when I was in Chile and Santiago, there's that, I can't remember, the Torah, the, I forget the exact building, but it's supposed to be like the tallest building in the Southern Hemisphere. But it's not that impressive because like, 80% of the countries in the world and like 90% of the population is is in the northern hemisphere. So when you say that's not really a, a big distinction, like I also did a walking tour in, in uh, Melbourne in Australia and the guy even said that he's like, this is, it's the best one of these in the southern hemisphere, but we only say it's the best in the southern hemisphere because if you took away that label, or if you actually think about that label, it's not really that big of a distinction. <laughs> I can't remember what he's like. If you include the Northern Hemisphere, this would fall down easily to like number 25 or 26 or something like that in terms of rank. <laughs> was it the Gran Torre Costanera? Yes, I was in that building, yes. <laughs> Do you want to know the best thing? That's third. It's the third tallest in the Southern Hemisphere? Yeah. To oh, I bet you it's tallest in South America. Yeah, it's definitely tallest in uh, in South America, but unsurprisingly, the tallest building in the Southern Hemisphere is the Sky Tower in Auckland. Hmm, yes. 
But just similar labels like that where they say it's the tallest one of these in the southern hemisphere, the best one of these in the southern hemisphere. And it's like that's not really that impressive of a distinction if you stop to think about it. No, but the best thing is, I did a little bit of digging on this um, on this hedge maze, and it turns out it's actually on a strawberry farm. It's literally the only thing for miles. It's just on the grounds of a strawberry farm, and it also only costs about a pound to go into. Because there's, it's the only way to get people out there? Yeah, don't get me wrong, it's a brilliant location. And the problem is because it's the only thing in the area you then go, well, we're passing anyway, we might as well use it as a location and make a fun challenge out of this. But it's literally the only thing for miles around. I wonder if like they can have a restaurant or some sort of concession in there where they can really upcharge tourists. So it's like, well, where else are you going to go? But also, it is South Africa, and everything is cheap in South Africa. That's true. Maybe it's, by their standards, it's gouging, but by our standards, it's like, eh, it's still cheaper than Scandinavia. <laughs> Facebook is still very much irritating me because, just to date this podcast recording a little bit, I was in South Africa this time last year. Did you go to the hedge maze? I didn't, because I wasn't in charge of the directions, and if I was driving, I would have 100% gone there, obviously. But, yeah, I was in Cape Town this time last year, and Facebook keeps reminding me, and it's rather irritating. (laughs) Because it is not particularly warm, and it is not particularly dry in the UK right now. And, you know, no one can leave their homes. It's hot here. It's hot here in Canada. Well, bully for you. (laughs) We still cracked 30 today. (laughs) It is also worth mentioning that not long before this season filmed, Gilles was the winner of the television game show Dislims to Mens. Something that Logan isn't aware of, however, is that someone else who took part in that season was Logan's favourite, Willie Summers. What? Because it's a rollover situation like Jeopardy, Jill was in 13 episodes, Willie was in one. Did he avoid being last place? No, he got eliminated because he <laughs> lost his one and only game. Willie, no! I was looking up the rules of Dislims to Men's Out of Interest, and basically it's that the top two roll over and the last person goes out, and Willie on his first attempt managed to get last place and went home. Willie Summers. And the letters that the other five are trying to find are written on ostrich eggs, there are 42 hidden around the maze, and they're quite nicely provided with protective gear, you know, in case they fall over in a hedge maze. And they have 15 minutes per turn to send the rest to find the eggs. Of course, this being Demol, it's not as easy as that, because the eggs are protected. By ostriches. You know, like, some medieval castles have protect artifacts by dragons or gargoyles. On the Mole Belgi, we guard them with super intimidating ostriches. I think the best thing that nobody has realised yet is that this maze doesn't normally have ostriches in. They shipped the ostriches in for this challenge. Really? That's not part of the maze? No, there's absolutely nothing on that Strawberry Farms website to indicate that they normally have ostriches. Therefore, they must have shipped them in. Can they live there afterwards? Well, the thing is, they're not actually that far from the ostrich capital of the world, which is a place called Utsorn, which I went to. And I will say, baby ostriches, quite cute. Adult ostriches... Not so much. I did feed an ostrich when I was in Utsorn, and I will say it's a terrifying experience to have your hand essentially get mauled by an ostrich. Would you try to grab eggs from an ostrich? Uh, I wouldn't exactly be scared of them, 
but you've just got to be a bit careful around them because they're very fast and they are more likely to kick you to death than anything. I guess when you're when they're running around all day in the South African heat, uh, some might say that the ostriches feel a bit peckish. <laughs> and in something that essentially becomes a running joke for this entire challenge, Davy is terrified of ostriches, and whenever he sees one, he shits himself. Hans has a very scary encounter too. He actually like dives almost like he forces himself to be amongst the hedges as the ostrich runs by. Or they played horror music for Sam when he's being chased by the ostrich because it's three times it's his weight. I think between this episode and last episode, we can definitely award this season the title of the sheer comedically funniest season of reality TV ever. Because any opportunity they can go for a stupid joke, they go for a stupid joke. And in fact, not just the last two episodes. The second episode had the hilarious image of uh, Robin in the cage being trolled by the um, intern with a, um, a litter picker and a fake tail on. And I like how they had no game plan for this challenge, how they all just started bringing whatever letters they could, and then Robin and Annalise being completely overwhelmed, and Jill's just seeing this as the easiest game of Scrabble he's ever going to win in his life. That's the thing, because the mole doesn't even need to mole here, because the mole has the advantage of Gilles de Costa being there, and being at his sassiest. Because there are a good four or five quotes I could pick out from Gilles this challenge, which are essentially just, come on guys, you're not even playing. At least give me a challenge. Yeah, he's like, he keeps saying, you keep leaving openings for me. <laughs> he's just such a bitch during this challenge, and it's brilliant. Yeah, like if there were, like, let's say Robin and, Anal Robin and Annalise would have the word, would have the word bitch in there, and then Jill's would just casually put in bitched to get 400 points. Or it goes from lion to lions to little lion. <laughs> Or when they, or when Robin and Annalise are like, oh no, he's going to add on to our word. Are you going to put that as your answer? And Jill's is like, no, I'm going to put an even longer one. <laughs> so they get the advantage of going first and go with a 300 point word, which is to pamper. However, Jill immediately shames them and adds two letters onto the end to give himself a 210 point lead. It's funny with, with pamper because that is not what they experienced in the campsite yesterday. <laughs> no, mainly because Davy was the one to get to each challenge first and make sure they didn't get any comfort whatsoever. Yeah. Maybe if there was booze uh, on that raft, he may have gone for it. It was a Davy sabotage. <laughs> and they can't put an egg back down once it's been found, meaning that Bertrand and Sam have to just stand around underneath the board until Annalise and Robin need them. And they decide to make Lion, but Jill makes Little Lion and then goes even further ahead. Jules does keep it competitive, though. When you look at the scoreboard for the points, it's never a runaway game. He doesn't try to clobber them. Yeah, I think Jules was trying to be nice and not flaunt his intelligence too much. Which makes the fact that he wins this challenge even funnier for me. Because after the little lion incident, he turns around and goes to Annalise and Robin, I think you guys could do a bit better here. Well, Robin said he plays Scrabble five times a day for the past ten years. Who does he play against five times a day? Does he go to is there a Scrabble really big in Belgium where he goes to an actual Scrabble club and plays against a bunch of other people like you see, you know, like in Greece where everyone's playing chess or in Chile where they're playing chess or checkers? <laughs> now he just plays it online for money. It's uh, his version of online poker. Scrabble, ScrabbleStars.net. 
And, uh, yeah, with that quote, I just had written down, this is peak bitchy papa bear. I seem to remember that when we spoke to Jill after Mexico, my first question to him was just, how did you come up with the ostrich maze challenge? Where does it come from? And Bertrand asks out loud whether he can kick an ostrich, because it's blocking his path. Imagine if he did. Hey guys, am I allowed to just maul this animal? Let's just start attacking ostriches. I mean, you would get the eggs quicker, but you might also get deported too. But you know what would have been even funnier? Is if that night they got served um, ostrich at dinner. They're the exact ones from the maze. Because I did have ostrich when I was in South Africa, and it was very tasty. Was it expensive? It was probably only a little bit more expensive than a normal steak, but it's South Africa. Everything is cheap in South Africa. But yeah, it was very tasty. And Hans gets chased by an ostrich, which is even funnier when you consider that the cameraman just stands aside and lets it happen. <laughs> yeah. There's no inter- you can't have production interfering. Then that, that, that would be illegal and influence the game. I think there was one point where we saw that the cameramen weren't even wearing protective gear, so those cameramen are ballsy. We did see them in the one shot, didn't they? I did take note of that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they weren't wearing the same amount of protective gear as um, as the contestants were. I'm guessing the ostriches were pretty well trained and behaved. Yeah, I don't think those ostriches were in danger of really mauling anyone. Maybe Hans. You're far more in danger from a kick from an ostrich rather than its beak. If an ostrich kicks you, you'll know about it. And Jill manages to get the most Australian of all the swear words, uh, which I'm a child and screenshot every single time I see this challenge, because he tries to spell the word scent, but instead of using a letter E, he uses a blank tile, so it does look a bit like an Australian swear word, and I'm a complete <laughs> child and giggle every time I see this challenge as a result of it. I'm a child, and it makes me laugh every time I've watched this challenge, and I've watched this challenge many more times than I can count. 400 points! I think when I was watching this episode again, I just sent that screenshot to Bindles and just said, has Jill been to Australia recently? Because I can tell. <laughs> he, he, he was just driving around in Australia. Yeah. And Sam thinks that Eileen has already found the golden egg, so doesn't investigate the mysterious tunnel next to an egg that he finds. He really has tunnel busy. He really does, but the best thing here is that five of those eggs are hidden on the other side of the tunnel, and there is literally no other entrance to those eggs. So him not investigating the tunnel literally costs them money here. And Annalise and Robin get 340 points for their next word, but Jill chastises them for making it a little bit too easy for him. I assume that Jill's kept adjusting the difficulty as he went through the challenge. I would assume so, because he didn't particularly want to make it a complete curb stomping. And then they run out of time, and with a final score of 1,980 points, they lose to Gilles 2,490, and earn nothing for the pot. And they don't even find the in fact they have to modify the rules because nobody found the golden egg. So Gilles just says, hey guys. Run around now. That golden egg, yeah, go the golden egg is still out there. Go ahead and run around like a bunch of kids at recess at school. Oh, and also, Annalise and Robin, yes, you are going to be running around to try and find the golden egg, but we're not going to give you any protective equipment just for funsies. <laughs> That's for you to deal with on your own. Yeah. And just as a little bit of housekeeping, for the purposes of our episode totals and our season totals and all that sort of stuff, I'm considering that this challenge had an upper limit of €2,500, because Gilles scored 2490 It's one of the rare challenges in Belgian mole history that is open-ended, and as a result, it's just much easier to pick a nice round figure somewhere that would have beaten Jill 
and handily, he scored 2,490, so we're considering it 2,500 as the max. Yeah, Gilles wasn't allowed to go over that much. Yeah, I get the feeling that Gilles was maybe reigning in a little bit, but considering that he scored 2,490, it's just easier for everyone involved if we just say the maximum for this game was 2,500. And the contestants all said there was no game plan discussed before or during the challenge, that it was just this big free-for-all, and they started tossing the eggs near the end because they had too many letters, and then they couldn't use that tunnel, and uh, Sam thought Aline had the golden egg but didn't. And, and, and then Robin just gets pissed off with everybody but not really contributing any sort of solution during the challenge. And then especially at the end where Jill's is like... Um, you guys are down to like your last minute. You got to make something happen here. And Robin and Elise just don't. They don't know how to instruct everybody. They really needed Marzana there again because she was the boss. She seemed to be the best director of the group. Yeah. You need somebody who truly has the group's interests in mind and is really can really stick with what's going on. Yeah. And everyone ends up running through the 10 kilometers of pathways through the maze. And it ends up being Hans who finds the golden neck. Of course it had to be Hans. I wonder if as soon as he saw it, he's like, man, I am really not making any friends on this trip. <laughs> Especially when you consider that in the last challenge of this episode, Hans can literally steal 3,000 euros from the pot. Hans could be the first person ever to get eliminated, come back, still be in the game, and take money home if he ever got eliminated again. Let's just say he won't be able to add anybody onto Facebook after the season is over if he got that 3k. Not even Booba would add him. And Booba's lovely. <laughs> yes. And the lack of winnings causes fractions in the group. Robin apparently spent ten days playing Scrabble five times a day. And they wake up on day ten in Uniondale, where Gilles greets Hans for his golden egg challenge. And I love how the first thing we see of them all is them sleeping in a giant tent together, and Gilles just popping his head through and offering to make him coffee. What he should have done with Hans is be like, I'm going to take you to the Willy, you have the golden egg, that means you get to go to Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. That's one of the, there's five others out there that need to be found. Which uh, character from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory would you describe Hans as? Is he more of a Veruca Salt or a Mike TV? Galoop was first out, so he's got to be Galoop. The great big greedy nincompoop? (laughs) I mean, and I mean, Galoop does get to go underwater too, just like Hans did. He did, he does get trapped. Watch, Charlie, he's going to fire like a bullet through the air. The Charlie and the Chocolate Factory films were so weird. At least, the, well, there's one good one and one bad one. you got to love Gene Wilder. He's, he's not your typical comedian. So Gilles chats to the other six at breakfast and asks them what the area is famous for. Eventually, they guess the correct answer of golf. Of course, Bertrand is excited, as he has a handicap of 24, and he did also previously describe himself as the best golfer when they did mini-golf in Cape Town. And Sam says that he was good on Wii Sports. Again, a very dated reference. Yeah, that's the thing. Because by 2017, the Wii U definitely would have been out. The Switch would have been out. Yeah, because the Switch came out on the 3rd of March 2017, which was when this season was airing, and the Wii U came out in 2014. So Sam needs to keep up with the times. University will do that to you. But it's funny that Bertrand says he has a handicap of 24 because initially I thought he was referring to his handicap score when he takes a quiz on the Belgian Mole. Bertrand, you managed to score minus four. That's almost impressive. That's your highest score yet. 
and Hans is taken to a crocodile sanctuary, and he's told that he will be swimming with them today. And he's not wonderfully appreciative. But while he's under the water, the phone starts ringing, and it is his girlfriend. And a sign appears in the water, saying he can earn €3,000 of money today, all to himself. And the other six are taking it to the Fancourt Golf Estates, which is one of South Africa's most prestigious golf courses. And inexplicably, both Bertrand and Robin both have golf shirts to wear for the occasion. And after a quick lesson, Gilles tells them that they can earn €3,000 today, but the money is not in South Africa, it is instead in a cafe in Flanders. He shows them a live feed of their loved ones in the cafe sharing a drink, they will be the ones to potentially collect the money, and it is in a safe on the wall behind them. Davy had his girlfriend there, right? Yeah. And then who else had their partners there? So I think it's the same loved ones we see next week. So it is Aline's brother, uh, Sam's mum, uh, Hans's girlfriend, Robin's wife, Davy's girlfriend, Annalise's husband, and then also Bertrand's girlfriend's there as well. It would have been funny if they didn't know that, because they don't really know they're being filmed, right? No, it's all secret filming. So it'd be funny if like they're seeing them on camera, or they're seeing the feed of them in the cafe, and like two of them start making out or something. It's like, they're cheating on me! <laughs> this is the worst challenge ever! I bet you would have loved it if one of those was Davy's girlfriend, just so you could have him all to yourself. <laughs> Come on, you set me up for that one. But it's like, you know, two of them are making out, it's like, damn it, it's only pain if you look back at that feed, man. And of course, Bertrand would just be distracted by the screen and watching it going, oh, this is so hot. No, what Bertrand would be like, well, I'll give her a second chance. Maybe she didn't mean to cheat on me. I'll give her a second chance to pick the right person uh, next time she goes to the cafe. Surely she's not going to make the same mistake twice. So Hans is also searching for that money. He has to send his girlfriend to grab it before they do. Inside the Crocodile Sanctuary gift shop are clues to the location of the money. He has to get it before the golfers finish six holes. After each hole, they will get a clue to the cafe's number. They have to complete each hole in ten shots individually to get the key. Otherwise, someone else has to be switched in. When they personally complete a hole, they cannot complete another one. And it's Aline who's up first. She misses a lot of shots. Bertrand takes over, but hits it into the water straight away. And after seven shots, he gets it into the water again, so Robin has to take over. He gets it onto the green in six shots and pockets in exactly ten. And the box that he opens contains a phone. Didn't Davy call a wrong number at one point during the challenge? Yes. <laughs> Maybe it was, a, it, was a, it was a Chinese pizza place in Amsterdam. And Hans finds a map and four town halls with distances, and he's got to recognise the town halls to find the right town. And he says that it is 28 kilometres from Antwerp. I recognise the Bruges one. So did I, and Antwerp. Uh, Bruges and Antwerp are the only two that I knew of those four. The other ones I had absolutely no clue about. And Robin tries to remember his wife's number, but he struggles. And everyone hits bad shots until Davy pockets in six on the second hole. Inside the second box is a list of 5,839 phone numbers, which is all of the cafes in Flanders. And he also cannot remember his girlfriend's phone number. <laughs> At least it wasn't an ex-girlfriend's number that he dialed. Yeah, That would have been so bad. <laughs> Hey, it's me. I know we've not spoken in years, but please could you help me get 3,000 euros? Thanks! <laughs> At a cafe where my current girlfriend is? I promise it won't be awkward. What do you- what? Hello? Hello? Hotford Dama. Guys, I think she must have walked into a tunnel, because she wouldn't hang up on me. <laughs> she is tunnel busy. 
So Hans finds a mug with another town hall that is 91 kilometers from the correct location. Annalise gets a third key. She also doesn't know her husband's number, much to Robin's irritation. And inside the third box is a tablet with a sound clip about blood sausage. Hans identifies Bruges Town Hall and finds two intersections for the circles he's drawn. And using the information he's got and the two potential intersections, his girlfriend identifies the Town Hall of Essen, which is 400 metres from the cafe. And Bertram completes the fourth hole. He actually knows his girlfriend's number, but of course they had to hand their phones in. Inside the fourth box is a maths puzzle, three pots of ball bearings which will give them the postcode of the cafe. If they get it right, 5,839 cafes will become 1,716 potential cafes. Yep. <laughs> Aline completes fifth hole. Her box unlocks a puzzle with five cafe names. If they solve the puzzle correctly, the right cafe name will be revealed, and Aline just suggests finding the five cafes on the list rather than solving the puzzle. The phone number is in the final box. Sam keeps hitting the ball into the water, but Eileen's tactic works, and they find the right cafe, earning 3,000 euros for the challenge, 4,000 of a possible 10,000 for the episode, and 18,500 of 55,000 for the season so far. And they all get to speak to their loved ones, and Robin cries. The thing is, they didn't even golf that well. Like, they, Bertrand, who's supposed to be the best golfer, keeps hitting the ball in the damn water. That's what I mean when I say it's a two-episode arc of undermining Bertrand at every opportunity, because they didn't need to show the mini-golf scene last week. They could have had Jill hand it over anywhere, or not specifically have him ask who's the best golfer. But because they knew that Bertrand claims he's the best golfer, and then biffs it in this episode, they include it just purely to undermine him. And it's very fitting that the one guy who needs a mulligan in the game is Bertrand. <laughs> yeah. Thanks to last week, he needs a mole again, but actually all he got this episode was a mulligan. <laughs> so many layered puns actually to that word. Yeah, and Hamza's girlfriend arrives five minutes too late, and they also see her on the screen. Yeah, they just show her, like, there's an empty safe, are you sure? No, no, seriously, yeah, we've got the money, like, you can take the dust bunnies that are in there, but I don't think they're worth 3,000 euros. So, it is now time for the test. 20 questions on the identity and actions of the mole. Whoever knows least will go home. That person is obviously Bertrand. Do you think Hans did really poorly with this challenge? Because I feel like he just could not get anywhere with the challenge. Yeah, I think his major problem was that he took too long to identify the town halls. Because he had the right tactic. The right tactic is obviously find two that you know, find the points where they intersect, and then get your girlfriend to look at the actual town hall that's 400 metres away and work out which one it is of the two. But he just took a little bit too long to actually work out the initial town halls, and that was enough for Kareen to be five minutes late. I like, too, how they could have a challenge where it's a race between two groups to do a task, and depending on who's faster, that it determines where the partner needs to drive in half of an entire country. Like, you could not, you could not say, oh... All right, we're going to have this challenge where a person in Canada needs to find uh, $3,000 $3, in a cafe in the prairies. It's like, um, that's a 12-hour drive if you go to the wrong place. <laughs> yeah, this is another challenge that you could not do anywhere other than a Benelux country. Because even somewhere like France, France is way larger than all of Benelux. France is still pretty big by European standards. I think it's third largest? Well, as we found out in Vidim a couple of weeks ago, it's actually the largest country in the EU. Not Russia. 
But even if you started someone dead centre in France, they still probably wouldn't be able to win. Because France is just so large even from end to end. Yeah, and then at least with Belgium from, well, as you know, Michael, because we've both been to Belgium a couple of times before. Have we? <laughs> I don't think we've mentioned the last time we went to Belgium, Logan. Yeah, that, yeah, that, that's, yeah. We definitely weren't at the mole finale for Vietnam. But from north to south, I believe was a, it's about three hours by train, which, as a Canadian, is really tough to comprehend. When it, even, even while it was happening, it's like, did I just go all the way across from Charleroi all the way up to Antwerp in like two hours and 50 minutes? Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, if you consider that when I went to the Belgian Mall finale, clang, I know, I keep mentioning it. I went from Amsterdam to Antwerp in maybe an hour, an hour and a half on the train, something like that. That couldn't really happen anywhere else in the world apart from that bit of Europe. Yeah. So Bertrand says that there are three points that it is terrible to go home at, the finale, the start, and right before your loved one comes out. Annelise and Robin were both suspicious, given how badly they played Scrabble against smartest person in Belgium, Gilles de Costa. Davy says that Robin is so friendly that it could be a mask. Annalise says Bertrand is meant to be a great golfer, but was terrible in the first hole. Eileen says that there was a challenge involving a lot of reading today, and Annalise didn't have her glasses. <laughs> Which was something I forgot to mention in that third challenge. For some reason, Annalise left the hotel without her reading glasses, which makes it even funnier when you consider she remembered them for the electric shock challenge next week, which probably made it a bit worse for her. And Hans says that the two women were cycling so slowly even when the ground wasn't too hilly yet, so that was suspicious. It'd be funny with, like, Annalise being the mole, it's like, one of her sabotages was her not bringing her reading glasses to the challenge. It's just the most old woman sabotage ever, isn't it? Well, it's like something my parents say anywhere they go. They're like, oh, can you read the menu for me at this restaurant? We didn't bring our reading glasses, Logan. <laughs> yeah, you have Moles Gilles last season preparing for weeks to make sure he can race the Buenos Aires Metro and just get in a little bit too late if he needs to. And this season you have Annalise who just goes, yeah, I forgot my reading glasses. <laughs> just that intense prep. I am going to aggressively make a cup of malted milk. That's the biggest sabotage possible at my age. I'm going to make sure I go to bed at 6.30pm every night, so when we have to do the Drunk Museum heist where I have to guide everybody at 1am, I'm just going to be way too tired to keep up with them. So yeah, Robin says that he's sticking with the same instincts. Seeing as though he wasn't bottom two in the last one, why change? And Sam and his chunky jumper say that at some point you just have to choose someone and be either right or go home. And at the execution, Gilles says it's been a busy few days, they are halfway through the trip, and they spend so much time together that they should know each other so well by now, but that someone isn't telling the truth. What? And yeah, Bertrand gets an instant red screen and goes home. And they don't even give him any suspense whatsoever. No, I think that was, well, that was their own way of creating shock. Just type his name, boom, enter, red screen, out, get out, now. Can you think of anyone in Belgium Mole who's had an instant red screen, other than Bertrand? Uh, it's tough to distinguish between all the different versions of the Mole that we watch, just Belgian, but I, it's definitely the earliest red screen. Yeah, I'm fully aware that someone will probably correct me on this if I'm wrong, looking at you, Bindles, so hi. But I think Bruno last season got one, but I'm not 100%, so please no one correct me if I'm wrong. But it, I think out of any moles worldwide, I cannot think of a time where it's happened with seven people left in the game. 
that's really early to be like one name and boom. Well, just even if you think about it odds wise, it's really, it's really tough to do it on the first name. Yeah, especially when both Bertrand and production know that he got the red screen last time, and production also know he got the red screen this time. So they're lulling him into a false sense of security going, don't worry, you'll be absolutely fine, and then boom. Can't remember, does Jules know who's executed when he types the names in? Yeah, Jill knows. I wonder if he was like just so shocked. He's like, I just want to do this first. It's just because I'm sure production was just as shocked as Bertrand when they found out the results when they're doing the tabulations prior to the execution. Oh, I'm 100% positive that production was shocked that Bertrand did nothing with the advantage he was given last week. Is this the biggest advantage a player has ever gotten on the mole outside of, say, an exemption at Final Four? Yeah, I don't think there is a larger advantage that anyone can be given other than an exemption at the Final Four than having a second chance and knowing you made a mistake. Because Bart is the other person who got this, and Bart used it to his advantage and actually worked out who the mole was as a result of it. And almost duped the eventual winner into going for the wrong person too at Final Four. Yeah, it's the exact same situation as with Bart, except Bart learned from his mistake unlike Bertrand. And I am not criticising Bertrand at all, because I can only imagine how terrifying it was as a situation to be told you had a red screen and that you were the worst, and to be so convinced at the time. But the problem is, he doesn't do anything with it. Even this episode, he goes all in on a different person and is wrong again. I know we're jumping ahead to the reunion show, but we may as well talk about it now. But he says at the reunion that he just, even if he got a second, third or fourth chance... He still, the, the person who ends up being the mole was at the very, very bottom of this, of his suspect list. It was like, the, the, the mole is like the, the one person who he had ruled out. The biggest mistake here for him is that I don't think he spread it all on this quiz. I think he went all in on one person again. And if you're given that sort of an advantage and you're still not convinced, you spread without hesitation. Especially if there's one person or one or two people that he could rule out. And if he spreads, there's a really good chance he's got points on somebody just just based on odds, which I think is what Bart did. Bart spread for a while. Yeah, the thing is, Bart had an instinct after he got his secret red screen as to who it was, but he still didn't go straight ticket on that person until he was convinced. He made them his main suspect, but he didn't go straight ticket on them until he absolutely needed to and he was convinced it was the right option. Yeah, and seven's way too early to go for one person. So, next week, the family visit happens just as Bertrand predicted. There is sat-now chaos, electric shocks, and a very important paintball hunger game. I would say Bertrand said there was three points where you don't want to go home on the mole. I would say there's four. One is right before the finale. Second is being first out. Third is right before the loved ones come. And number four would be after everyone learns that you were dead last on the quiz and you knew you were dead last and then go home the very next round. So I'd, I'd argue there's four. Yeah, I would argue that in his special case there are probably four times. And that's the thing, Bertrand seems like a really lovely guy. He, he took it well. If there's one, he's probably like, if this happened to Jessica in this cast, she would be taking this harder. Yeah, she would have been crushed. Yeah. But they said he was a calm and relaxed guy during the game. So that's, I guess, if there's one person who unfortunately gets unintentionally humiliated on national TV on the most watched program in Belgium, 
Bertrand's probably your guy to get that role. Yeah, he's a lovely guy. He's just a little bit of a moron sometimes. It's just the mole's a tougher game than if you eat Tunnel Vizzy is just makes people Tunnel Vizzy makes smart people look dumb. Like I'm trying to think of anybody else in the cast who would have handled this fate better than Bertrand, and I don't think anyone else would have. Booba definitely wouldn't have. Robin sure would have been crushed if he went home this way. Well, we saw Hans's reaction to possibly not even be able to play the game. So I think Bertrand was probably the one who you wanted this to happen to more than anybody, without any sort of long-term psychological effect. Yeah, and we'll go into this more at the end of the season, but so much went right for production this season. And a lot of that is the really unintentional stuff, like Bertrand getting the red screen at the secret execution last week, because he can actually take it, and potentially do something with it. Obviously he was still far too tunnel busy to do anything with it, but in theory he was probably the best candidate for it. I'm not sure anyone else in the cast would have taken it as well as Bertrand did. Maybe Davy, actually. Maybe. It would be close. Davy isn't as calm a guy as Bertrand, but I think he probably would have done a lot more with this twist had it affected him. He certainly wouldn't have got himself executed straight away. But I mean, in terms of reacting to being executed right away, I think Davy would still take it a little bit worse than Bertrand. Yeah, personality-wise, Bertrand was probably the best person in the cast to get it, but... Actually, in terms of success, you could have probably given it to someone else in the cast and they wouldn't have screwed it up as much as Bertrand did. And I think with that, we are done episode four. Yeah, I think so too. So, thank you for listening to our Demol Belgium recap. We'll be back next week to continue the hunt for the mole in South Africa. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube or Instagram where we are RTV Warriors. Or you can email us and contact at rtvwarriors.com. Logan is on Twitter at logsupergwacky and I am MJ Armstone. See you next week. Peace out and just chill till the next flavoring. Stay tuned for scenes from What the Mole Did. So the first thing that she did was that she got overtaken by the Lantern Rouge and cost the group 500 euros. Yeah, that one was a pretty easy one It's to just say, oh, I'm not much of a cyclist. Uh, she did two things at the Ostrich Maze Challenge. Number one, she hurried Annalise and Robin along and told them not to think too long about words. And she also tried to rush people into just picking letters up to lock them into choices. She con- so, so she contributed to the chaos of everyone saying, Oh, uh, I have a letter, I have a letter, I have a letter. Yeah, but knowing about the rule that once you pick something up, you can't put it back down again until Annalise and Robin actually asked for it, she rushed people into picking up letters and at one point actually just told people to just grab anything they see. To the point where Sam actually pointed out at one point that, uh, that she was just standing there and ordering people around. She also missed a lot of shots in the golf, and she convinced the team to ring potentially 50 cafes instead of solving the puzzle. However, this one backfired. Because they got the right one. Yeah, because they managed to stumble ass backwards into winning that challenge. And Hans was only five minutes away. <laughs> if Hans figured out the city's halls, A, just a tiny bit faster, or B, if the proper odds happened with dialing all those numbers, that $3,000 would have been out of the pot. So it's just correct sabotage. It just was bad luck. Yeah. So is there anything else you can remember Aline doing? Uh, well, they shouldn't go after the... She pretend to go after the golden egg. <laughs> True. However, I'm pretty sure she didn't want the golden egg because it's a solo challenge and the mole should always kind of want to hide in a bigger group. Yeah, it'd still be a bit early, I guess, to isolate yourself. You may as well just keep Hans, Hans repeatedly isolated. <laughs> and we are done. Indeed we are.